Yeah, although you know, plenty of games have hinged on bad calls. So, well, are you a Rams fan, Dave? Uh, yeah, I guess I've been to a well, lot of their games. You're the benefactor of the latest crap call two years ago. <laughs> oh, New Orleans. Okay, okay. Here's the thing: you've got to go back a ways, okay? Because that is actually Sean Payton's fault. Now. <laughs> And I'll tell you why. No, no, I'll tell you why. All they needed was a field goal, right? Okay. So if they run the ball to the middle of the field, they've got a 40-yard field goal, and instead he throws a pass even before that pass. That's incomplete, right? He doesn't have to throw the ball. Run the ball to the center of the field, call timeout, and kick the game-winning field goal. Yeah, I I have no idea why he, he did what he did. But who, ca- who cares why he did what he did? The fact is he was right, and he got the right play in, and they screwed it up. Did they? They Oh, my God, Dave. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty well, close. so Dave. biased. That is just ridiculous. It was, I it was really that. close, Brandon. It was really close. Was, it was not even close. It That's was. That's point. It was close. He knocked the dude out of bounds five yards before the ball was even there. And then they reviewed it, and they still stayed with it. Because they're morons. Okay. (laughs) Hey, They got got 12 different camera angles and 12 different referees, and nobody overturned. Break this this time. You're not a a Rams fan. No, no. Hey, listen. We need to to take this to the podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us on Building Greatness, The Warrior Way, a Westcliff University Athletics podcast. As always, I'm joined by our Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris. Yay, yay. And I'm Sherm Dog, David Shermet, the head baseball coach at Westcliff University. Hey, Sean, it's uh, great to talk sports with you as it is every time we have this opportunity. And uh, today, no different as always. And I say this every week that there's plenty to talk about and more so this week because of our triumphant return to practice, to the fields, to the courts. And we actually are now in season with some of our sports. And so it's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, our women's volleyball team is now back in action. We've got our men's water polo team coming up this week, as well as more women's volleyball. Men's soccer is in action. Um, And at the uh, end of the week, women's volleyball, again, we've got cross country coming up. And even those sports that are not fall sports, sports that are considered winter and spring, are starting practice. So it's a very exciting time in our um, year to be returning to the practice and game fields and courts. And, uh, you know, so far the reaction has been unbelievable. You know, we had a women's volleyball game against La Sierra last week. The turnout was outstanding. The energy, the the noise level, it was exciting. It was fun to be back at, at the game and watching it live. Just unbelievable response we're getting. Hey, sure, dog. Hey, as my, my boy, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin was saying, Hail Yale. <laughs> Stone yeah. Cold, baby. You're looking about the Stone Cold. Nah, I know who he is. He, you don't know. You don't know. No, don't know. no. Hey, him and The Rock used to get the crowd going, but it yeah. just made me think, you know, just how excited it is, right, for us to be back. Of course, you know, I'm just, you know, teasing, you know, with the Stone Cold Steve Austin reference, but it's just electrifying, right, to get back 
to say that we're even practicing and playing and having any kind of competition besides just beating on ourselves, right? Because it gets kind of old, right? Everybody knows if you've been a part of sports, you know, that build up to competition uh, get a little testy, man. It gets a little testy. We've seen training camps. You know, we I know we was talking. Uh, we got some Rams fan on here. I know we had Aaron Donald and, and the Dallas Cowboy. I ain't going to name his name because no Cowboys need to be acknowledged on this uh, nope, podcast. Nope. But, hey, listen up. Hey, it's getting testy, and now it's time to compete. And I think we're geared up. We ramped up. We got a great group of coaches, as always. We got first-round first draft picks, as I like to say. We got great administrators, a great university. Uh, led by, you know, Dr. Uh, Lee. So I think we're we're ready to get busy, man. We're mm. ready to do it. Oh, absolutely. We've been, you know, we've been itching to get back out there. We've had Zoom meetings, uh, plenty of those. You know, we've done our recruiting. We've put our schedules together. It's just time to, it's go time. And I know- Is it go time, sure? It is, it's always go time. And you know is something- go time, sure? You know what I heard once? I heard that we stay ready- so we don't so have we don't to get, have to get ready. ready. I heard, ready. I heard that once. Yeah. Hey, amen. And and I feel like that. I mean, um, how how you how you looking? I mean, you are one of uh, our key premium sports since you coach baseball. Uh, how how are your guys getting geared up and ready to go? I know you got some new additions to oh, your yeah. coaching staff, and I know you rate you can't wait because the pandemic stripped you right in the middle with some glory times that you was having. And this almost been a couple of years ago. Ain't it sad to say that? A couple of years ago, yeah. he was in one of the biggest and baddest uh, seasons of, of just competing and just whipping on uh, some of our D2 competition, up the street, Concordia, comebacks and everything else, beat Chapman after they came off of their hell of a season. And, and then COVID chopped you off at the knees. How are you feeling this year? Well, you know, it, it – we were all disappointed, obviously, the whole world, not not just not just us, but knowing what we had in front of us, you know, we probably had a 35, 38 win season um, looking excited uh, because of our conference. You know, I think we're a, we're a playoff team. We're a conference playoff team. Um, and so, you know, the players are ready to go. The coaches are ready to go. But there is one thing I, I want to point out. And this is something of which I am more proud than on the field. Um, this past Friday, we had commencement and baseball graduated eight guys. And so, you know, I was at commencement and uh, working it and watching uh, the graduates go through. That obviously is what it's about. You know, student athletes come because they want to play their sport. But, you know, first and foremost, the word is student athlete. Student always comes first. And you have um, ingrained it into our culture that it is our responsibility to help our student athletes get their degree. And when that happens, I, I couldn't be more proud. And of the eight guys that graduated, five of them have returned uh, into the master's program. You know, and so that puts a smile on my face and fills my heart as much as what we do on the field. Now, what we do on the field has been pretty successful. So that's kind of the icing on the cake for me. And when we get back out on the field, I, I talk to my guys every day. Everybody is fired up. They played summer ball. Maybe they went to summer school. Everybody is ready to go. We can't wait to get back on the field. Um, I've had all my discussions with the, uh, the Great Park Administration. They've afforded us the time and the fields that we need. And so we're ready to rock. We're still a, a couple weeks out. We've got some strength training and conditioning to do. But, I, you know, I want to throw BP and hit fungos. 
you know, I, I want to run the bases. I, I want, I want to get back into it. I, we're so ready. We've had a couple of our coaches meetings. We've got more to do by the time we're on the field. Everybody is pat. We're, we're ripe. We are overripe. You know, we're, it's been so long. We're just ready to rock and roll. And as I know, when I speak with the coaches from the other sports, they are the very same They're They just can't wait to get going. So uh, it's been a long time coming and we're all happy at this point that we can fire forward uh, rather than having to kind of turn our wheels and stay in one place in terms of competition. So, well, Hey, Sean, I mean, it's music to my ears hearing you echo those sentiments because, you know, as your Dean of athletics, nothing makes me more happier than assistant student athletes who meet or exceed the academic standards who achieve athletic success while demonstrating humility and character, you know, that is desired, right? And all, all these things lead to graduation. And, and that's why I'm here, you know, not just so I don't get fined, you know, um, <laughs> on this podcast, because this is clearly on the outer rims of, of my comfort zone, but I'm here to make sure every student athlete who we bring through the doors graduates, right? Earn that degree and get out there and get some, you know, in whatever career, uh, endeavors they, they decide to travel and venture to. So it's it's great to hear how our culture is just in, ingrained in, in every aspect of what we do. It's the five C's. And, and tell them what those five C's are, sir. I was just on my way there. Honestly, this is, this is the very thing that uh, embodies the five C's. And this was written by you late at night on a cocktail napkin when you were sitting up in bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sports Center, exactly where we find great athletes and coaches with superior character who can establish an exceptional culture while making a tremendous impact in the community by being fully committed to excellence, which will translate to championships. Yeah. Um, that's that is our guide. That's that is uh, our mantra in the athletic department, and hopefully, it translates to not just the athletes but the students, and it permeates the entire university. Um, that would be the next step. In, in the five C's, you know, uh, and that can apply to life as well. It doesn't just have to apply to athletics. It sounds as though it does, but when you dissect it, it can be applied to all levels of life, you know, whether you're in business or whatever the case is. Right. And, you know, what I would do is tell, you know, all our graduates and our student athletes, you know, that, you know, do what makes you happy, you know, do what makes you happy. Uh, you put in the work in the classroom. Uh, some of you will decide to stay on with us as GAs, and we appreciate that, and we love that. Of course, uh, some of you will move on to your next endeavors, your future endeavors, uh, or get out there and make some money because being a starving student is never fun. But but do what makes you happy, you know, and work so hard that they can't ignore you. So, and, and if you keep those five C's in the front of everything that you do, along with all the other things that's important, I can't see how you can lose. So, you know, truly, truly, excited for our, our, our graduates and all of our prospective students and our current students. Uh, let's get out there and get some this year. Let's get yeah. it. Yep. Um, again, our turnout for the uh, women's volleyball game against La Sierra, unbelievable, great energy uh, at the Lawler Center in Irvine. Um, and I want to also mention for those listeners, all of our games, our upcoming games are on the composite calendar that can be found on the athletics tab of the westcliff.edu website. So if you haven't had the chance to go there and you're wondering who's playing next and where they're playing and what time, it is all on the athletics. What's tab. that website? What's that website, sir? They can go to 
That's westcliffathletics.com. But if you go to westcliff.edu, um, the Jordan Lolly Center, right? Thank you. Um, and uh, you'll find it there. Just hit athletic, enter the athletic website, and it'll take you right there. You can see all the sports. Uh, the schedules are still being loaded. I must tell, tell you that if it's a spring sport, not all the schedules have been loaded yet. But we are in season now with volleyball and water polo cross country is coming up. Soccer is starting. So, you know, if you're interested in uh, taking in a game, absolutely. By all means. Um, and just to let them know, sure. Not the, the, the spring sports and different things of that nature, fall and whatever, uh, not fall, but a uh, winter uh, sports to be unloaded because we, we do have that uh, vicariously uh, creature who loves to interrupt um, with uh, our athletic play called, Corona variant, right? Delta, right? Yeah. Rolling around. So some things are to be determined. And we keep praying for all those first responders who keep us healthy, all the doctors, all the hospitals, all the folks that make it happen. You know, we, we appreciate what you do to allow us to get out there and, and, and get busy. Mm -hmm. and, and by extension, our uh, athletic training center, you know, uh, Emily Burns and, and her staff that keep our athletes in, in uh, tip top condition so they can participate in sports and also look out for them proactively in case there is a problem with COVID. So, you know, they do, they do a great job. We keep our uh, protocol in place. Um, and, you know, our university does as well. You know, obviously uh, when you're indoors, you're in class, we still have a mask mandate, I believe. Um, uh, not so much, not so much outdoors, but, you know, first and foremost, you, we got to keep our student athletes and our students, our faculty, uh, our, our administration, everybody has, and our coaches all have to be safe in a safe environment. So that's first and foremost. And then let me tell you, you was talking about how electric the volleyball, women's volleyball game was, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, we have, you know, that environment happens because of Westcliff's game time management crew, SID crew, who puts everything together. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal marketing on IG, social platforms, Yep. You name it, they do it. And then just the professionalism, you know, of Chase, Brandon, Jalissa, Neil, Deontay, mm -hmm. Katie. Yeah. Am I missing somebody? Who, who, who am I missing? I, I know I'm missing somebody in that mix. But that, that group comes together and makes things happen on the stop of a dime. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't game time management, you know, you just don't roll out a ball and play. It's rules, it's bylaws, it's things that happen. Uh, you know, Max, who's a new addition, yep. um, you know, to this process, they make everything seamless, you know, when we play home and they get involved in things that we do away. And, you know, they're really a big contributor to uh, how gritty and how classy we look you know, that the first thing that our student athletes see when they in the recruiting process. So it's so many uh, valuable ways they contribute to who we are and what we do behind the scenes. And some folks don't even know all these great highlight tapes, you know, that be, you know, Brandon Peterson puts through uh, that showcases our our actual athletes in their competition or play. Um, they help them with their NIL, right? To help them get their likes up, to help them get their brand recognition. And then also that makes our athletic department look so phenomenal when it comes to the national stage. So it's so much to go into what we do. And I'm just thankful that we got so many first round draft picks, a part of the athletics 
I just ride on the coattail, Sherm. I, I, you know, matter of fact, I don't have to show up anymore. I just like doing the trench work. You know, I, I want to be dirty. I want to. I want to have all the dirt on my face. I, I, I want to be the mole. You know, you don't see the mole. You just see him traveling through the ground. You know, so I'm I'm comfortable with okay. that. You know, I'm comfortable with that piece. Yeah, but see, you're the Joe. You can't be the mole. Can you be the mole yeah. and the Joe? You can because I'm not the superstar. You're the prima donna of this show, Sherm. <laughs> this show, this should just be the Sherm Dog show, and Sean jumps on. That's what it should be, you know, um, because you make it happen. But I will say, it is one flaw that we have in this show, Sherm. What's that? I mean, you're a Mildcat, baby. You're a Mildcat for the University of Arizona. We don't even know how we even deal with you every day. Yeah, I know. It, it must yeah. be it must be killing you to have to do this, right? Well, it's not really killing me because my boy Brandon, who is the Arizona State, you know, Sun Devil, right? He forks up every day. He makes this show happen, really. That's oh what happens. He got the forks up on you. And you know, he he teams your your little mildcat personality that comes out, this prima donna, you know. Uh, and then we make sure that all our sponsors are actually uh Really, sponsors and not just paying the University of Arizona somehow, you know, because I know y'all take bribes. I think y'all take bribes. Was somebody on a phone call or something? Oh, it's not my voice. Yeah, you're not going to get my voice on there. I covered my tracks pretty well. Yeah, did did, did half of the coaches kind of leave the university in some uh, suspicious way? And what's going on over there? Okay. Hey, here's what this is all I'm going to tell you. What's going on with your alma mater? I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm going to throw a diss at you right here. You know what? From Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, Joy and Pain, I'm the headliner of this show, and you're just a kid. Oh, oh, bro. <laughs> oh, 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 sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, are you, are you uh, in rapping mode? Is this rapping, sure? We have nah, I'm not. I can't. It's too early to throw bars down. We have not heard him in a while. Okay. Mm. We haven't heard him in a while. He's, uh, and, you know, like I said, you are this, the, the headliner of the show. Yep. Okay. I mean, so but, but can you explain to me what's going on? Yeah, you know, I just want to know because every time I'm turning around, you got your chest poked out about Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. What's going on? Talk to me. I'm a proud alumni, and you know, it, it. I think we've hit rock bottom. I really do. And and you know, you and I were talking about all the coaches that are leaving. The head football coach got fired. The basketball coach got fired. The baseball coach left. The uh, softball coach retired. The big sports. And yeah, it someone has to be responsible. <laughs> so that would be the athletic director. And, you know, uh, I don't know him. I, I've never met him. I've heard him speak. I've read some of the stuff that he said. And, and I don't know. I mean, you look at other athletic directors getting fired for because of their association with things. These are four pretty egregious things, not necessarily a retirement from Mike Candrea, the softball coach, but you know, you've got, you've got an, uh, an exodus of your high profile sports, your revenue sports and guys, of course, then jump in the transfer portal. And so you start losing athletes as well. Ultimately it's the AD's responsibility over there. So is anybody doing a, um, a review of that? You know, what what has happened since he's taken over? Because the guy prior um, to who Dave Hickey is there now, the guy prior left and went to Alabama. 
<laughs> so, you know, he was, he was smart. He, he jumped over there and uh, I think that was probably the right move for him, but you know, Arizona has had a long tradition of sports. Some sports we do better than others. Baseball being one golf is usually a good sport, tennis, swimming, all of those football, not so much, you know, we're the only team in the pack in the original pack 10 that has never been to the Rose bowl. Every other team's been Arizona has not been. And then we became a basketball school under Ludo. Yeah. So, hey, you know, rest in peace. Yeah. Rest in peace. I don't know where that where that program goes now. I know we got a new you guy. Got, in. You, just, you, you picked up a new guy there. And you was just smiling from ear to ear. Yeah. And, we, and we, we, robbed, like yeah we robbed Gonzaga of a good guy. You know, hey, you use the right word because that's what y'all do. Y'all rob a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing you do above board, but I'm just saying. I just want to give you a couple minutes to defend uh, the name, your, your, your alma mater, since, you know, we know the pretty much been in everything that's close to the trash as possible. Less. Yeah, and that, that, makes it, that makes it tough to defend. I mean, it's my alma mater. It's, you know, your alma mater, you're going to stand up for your school and you're going to do the right thing. It's just there was a point there where it, it was about as low as it could be, and it was hard to defend. It really was. Hopefully, we have the right people in the right places, and we're going the right direction. But honestly, there's nowhere to go but up. So you say you got the right people that's in the right places to get paid, so you can go up. Is that what you said? Did I misunderstand? Well, I'm talking about leadership. Oh, oh, talking oh, about the coaches. I'm sorry, I just misunderstood. I'm not. Like I hope we have the right coach. Oh, but you know what? Let's not let's not talk about uh, the Arizona State football program now being investigated. But you know, we we don't have to talk about that because of violation. Well, I mean, well, no, I mean, here's the deal. We all know that they're getting investigated because misery loves company, and I'm sure. You know, somehow, some way, you know, in the public records, we're going to find Arizona uh, dragging and selling the name of Arizona State somehow. We already know that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but there's two coaches under investigation at Arizona State who actually went to Arizona. So <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true what you said. I didn't want to bring that up and give you more fuel for the fire, but you're right on with that assessment. Oh, well, hey, boy, hey, I tell you, the roots don't go, go far, grow too far from the tree, dude. Not too far, not too far. Hey, you know, there's, a, there's another issue. There's a lot of issues going on in sports right now, um, at all levels in particular. But there's one that I want to talk to you about. Uh, and again, you know, when we talk about these things, Sean has no idea what we're going to discuss. I, I find some topics that we can talk about, and I just lay it on him without any preparation. So what you hear comes right off the top of his head. Um, this past week, and this is kind of, I think this is a big thing. Uh, we're going to have to see how it plays out. But looking at coaching, we were just talking about coaching. Um, at Now we've moved on to the professional level. Jason Terry just was named coach of G League's Grand Rapid Gold. That's the uh, Denver Nuggets G League team. More to the point though, the Dallas Mavericks this past week hired as an assistant coach, Christy Tolliver. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Christy Tolliver, but she is a standout from the minute she started playing basketball. She won a national championship at the University of Maryland. She was the number three overall pick in the WNBA. She's had a sterling career. Uh, she is 34 years of age, and she is still playing in the WNBA. <clears throat> she's, she'll be 35 this year, and I got a chance to see her play. Okay. Ah. A chance to see her play. Yeah. Um, she is a leader on the floor. She is amazing. Yeah. She's electrifying. She coaches people up. You know, she don't coach them out. She coach them up. Yeah. Right. So they can do what they need to do. And uh, just last night, they beat the dream 
uh, with a last minute uh, yeah. Yeah. back by, by NECA. You know, yeah. You, yeah. me with my, my WNBA ties, you know, being the agent, I stay up on the game. Yep. And I thought that, you know, she has also her dad is an NBA ref. A referee, right. Yeah. yeah. His name was George Tolliver. George Tolliver. Yeah. yeah. She comes from a great pedigree. And I couldn't think of a better person for them to hire for this job. And I'm saying, like, Dallas. Mavericks, Mark Cuban, they're leading the way when it comes to women in leadership. So yeah. I'm I'm ecstatic about this. Right. I think it's the one of the best things that could ever happen. Uh, this is no um, charlatan, man. You know what I'm saying? No, like, she, no she's legit. She's absolutely yeah. legit. She's a McDonald's All American in high school. Uh, she obviously, you know, led the University of Maryland. Right. You're in your stomping grounds to a national champion. This is not a gender play. This is, this is, you know, a lot of people, you know, want to poke fun with gender, you know, equity. You know, I don't play no games when it come there, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that's what my, my grandpa, you know, used to say, uh, pop out pressed, you know, they call him Peacock. But uh, we used to have um, just a little story real quick. We used to play games, you know, for uh, Thanksgiving and different things like that. And we would ask them, you know, he was asked by one of my uh, siblings, um, you know, did he want to play? He was like, I don't play no games. You know, he, he was really serious, hardworking man, uh, worked for the county, did a lot of great things. My point is Mark Cuban is not playing when it comes to getting his team ready for the next level. He has some big time hire, hire, hires uh, here lately with Jason Kidd, with Dirk uh, Nowitzki being, uh, uh, I think he's like a special uh, assistant, like consultant kind of guy, right? They locked up Luca for over 200 mil again. Yeah. He crazy. He went ham, absolutely ham in the Olympics, right? And now you bring in Christy with all this basketball knowledge. I mean, I think it's a great move. I'm glad to see it. I'm glad there's no color lines. I'm glad there's no gender biases. I'm glad that it's just about old fashioned hard work, sweat equity, uh, meritocracy mentality. And I think that Dallas is on the way up. Yeah. Now, you know, now there's an issue, though, I do want to ask you about. Now, obviously, uh, you know, there's other uh, women in sports who are on their way up. Becky Hammond in the same position, you know, with San Antonio. Um, Kim NG, who is the general manager of the Miami Marlins. You know, so there are women that are starting to make inroads. But here's my question. Um, You've got Christy Tolliver, whose history in basketball is is set. You know, she's she's played every year since she was four years old and she has been successful everywhere. But here's the thing. She's crossing over into what is predominantly a men's environment. She's going to walk on to practice. And by the way, the way it's been explained is that her playing time with the Sparks will not interfere with her coaching time in the NBA. She about to get paid, y'all. She about to get paid. Because she, she right at like 200 mil uh, uh, a year, a season, a little under 200 mil a season. No, you um, mean 200,000. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, but here's my question. Uh, chances are she's not going to know all of the players on the team. Maybe she hadn't had the chance. Why wouldn't to- she? Why wouldn't she? You, you don't understand the, the culture of basketball. She's a baller. She know everybody. Okay. All right. Well, let's say she has. Here's my question, though. How does she 
at the age of currently 34, she turns 35 in January. She might be, she may have veterans on the team that have been in the league a long time that are her same age or older. Are you talking about on the men's side? This is what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. How does she garner respect? She garners respect coming straight through the door already. Everybody know who Tolliver is. They ain't no, she ain't no scrub. I don't know, but I, I think there's going to be guys that are going to look at her like, no, what are you going to teach sure, me at sure. this point in my career? Sure. What are you talking about? Nobody said that to Tex Winners. Nobody said that to Tex Winners when he sat on two championship sidelines and probably couldn't move, you know, 94 feet. Nobody said that. I know, but see, this is a new person in the NBA. She's a not new, new in basketball, but, but how, are, how are the players on the team going to just give her respect well, and say, what are you going to give her respect? Because just like they give anybody respect. You know, they, they, I mean, she, her resume precedes her, number one. Her resume precedes her. And number two, we don't never talk about this when we got, you know, uh, men coaching women's sports. We don't say that, oh, well, the girls ain't going to, you know, women ain't going to respect him because, you know, he can't even go to the locker room after the game. We don't talk about these kind of things. Only when it's reverse and it's systemic. And I'm not blaming you and I'm not saying this is you and your fault, Right. But we always look for little crevices of respect. Who gives a damn about respect? She's going to go in there and earn it like she has everywhere she's been through demonstration and her knowledge of the game, being able to, to do the things she needed to do. And have to listen, most of the 80%, I would say 80%, don't even have her resume, don't even have her pedigree. But I will say she probably does have a little added advantage because her dad was a, a respected. A referee, right? So she's been around the men's game as well, maybe not in the public, but you, you mean, I mean, I'm not saying we take our kids to work, but everybody know your family in this kind of community. We're talking about the top 1%, right? That plays this game, you know, 350 plus, not very many. So referees and coaches and administrators and game time management, you get to know people when they've been around for more than a little bit. And she's had a glorious, I mean, just I mean, her career has been just banging. Like, and the NBA's been, WNBA's been around for 25 years, and 80% of the teams own the, own, the, own the players. So they know each other through interaction. They're in the same facilities, going to the same game. You know, that's where the camaraderie of basketball is a little bit different than other sports, you know. And, and they know her already. She a walking legend, man. Hmm. But just, like, just like if Sue Bird said, I want to do something in, in Seattle, brings back a team, which everybody wanted to bring back a team, right? Because they missed those supersonics. But if Sue Bird said, I want to get on the sideline, who's going to tell Sue Bird no? Nobody. Yeah, nobody. Of course. Nobody. Just like they would tell uh, Tolliver no. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Because she knows this game. Matter of fact, I've always been a – I'm going to tell you like this, and this is my personal opinion, nobody else's. I always thought the girls understand the game of basketball so much better than the men because their lack of athleticism, not for everybody, but their lack of athleticism don't allow them to cheat some of the beauty of the game, which is cuts, pass, dribbles, and all those things. You know, if a, if a guy can't really dribble, he, he might have athleticism to where he can take two steps like Giannis from the three-point line and get to the basket, right? But you got to be able to dribble, pass, and shoot. In women's basketball, you got to understand what J cuts are and everything else as far as those parts of the games and, and give and go. And I'm not saying they're lost in the game of basketball now on the men's side, but I'm saying athleticism, you know, you can you can hide some of those things when, when guys don't know how to properly, you know, 
box out or make a cut or make a lead, get a lead, you know, create a lead to get the basketball, stuff like that. So I really believe that the women's side of basketball, and I've coached both, right? I've coached both of those things in high school and in, in, in moonlight a little bit in, in, the, in the JC realm uh, with women's. And then, you know, of course, uh, four-year universities with men's. And I, I, w- I will tell you the little nuances of basketball that's lost from women's to men's is the beauty of the game. That's why I love going to WNBA games because most of uh, those plays, you know, and I'm going to say about 99, 98%, or made a place underneath the basket, you know, that means they're not going over for a dunk or plays over top of the basket, you know, to where athleticism doesn't make a play. You got to be able to know uh, how to chop your footsteps down and how to break into breaks and getting open and stuff like that. So um, those little uh, nuances, she's going to be able to, uh, you know, teach some of the guys who have kind of compensated with their athleticism, her footwork, is impeccable. Women's footwork in the game is special. You know, that gets kind of lost a little bit, you know, from men's and certain parts until they get, they lose the athleticism. Then we see who really been putting in the work when it comes to footwork and different things of that nature. So, you know, I challenge a lot of people. If, if you think what I'm saying, if you want to call BS on what I'm saying from some of the just little intricacies of women's and men's, let's do it. Come on this podcast and I'll battle you. But, but women understand the game, you know, from a cerebral level so much more than some of our men athletes because of athleticism, you know, difference. You know, athleticism can, can fool you sometimes, but then when you lose it, you know, then we see who remains in the league after 15 years. The Kobe Bryant's, the impeccable footwork, the Jordans, you know, all of those things. Vince Carter had to change his game. Ray Allen didn't start off just shooting corner threes, and that's all you know him. You, you didn't know the Ray Allen at, at, you know, the Supersonics where he was going crazy. You know, that's Jesus Shutterworth. You don't know who it is. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, you know, she going to be able to come in and garner that respect because people respect the game. And if you respect the game, you got to respect her. Well, I understand what you're saying entirely. That's going to just, you know, maybe the veterans on the team will take over and say, hey. You don't need a vet. She is a vet. That's what well, I understand that. But, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting. I <laughs> think it'll be interesting to see if think, they listen to her. Hey, why wouldn't they listen to her? That, that's her boss. That's their yeah. boss. Yeah, I know. She's She's got coach in her title, and so she, she that's should. That's her boss. She right? she doesn't have, does she have any coaching experience? I'm curious. Oh, I, don't, listen, I don't know if she's done any coaching. You didn't say that when we talked about Steve Nash taking over Brooklyn. Oh, I said the very same thing. He's never had coaching. You, you was on the side of saying, because you know, I was like, man, you know, he got a really good deal. Yeah. His first coaching experience, he right? passed and over he a lot of great guy. opportunities. Yeah, your point was, and everybody else's point was, well, he's a point guard, so he's a extension of the floor, so is Tolliver. No, no, She's no, 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 no that, was not, that was not my that point. You? That my, you? my point was he had zero experience. That's the what players, I know. The players wanted him, right? Because there were others there. And you and I talked about some of the great opportunities for coaches that could have gone there. And in, in, yeah, and coaches of color that got passed over. I remember the conversation really well. They did. But guess, okay, here's the deal, right? Um, we all know Jason Kidd's there. Yeah, yeah. Hall of Famer, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And he's been around. He was head coach of Milwaukee. You know, he has right. head coaching experience. All right, Hall of Famer. And, yeah. and he knows what talent looks like, correct? Yeah, I would think so. You right. bet. So yeah. he probably assembled this staff. He assembled this staff, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to assume Jason Kidd know what he's talking about, right? Yes. When he makes a hire this magnitude. Okay. And we pretty much know that Luca probably knew what was going on before it happened as well. Yeah. I mean, you paid him 200 mil, right? Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't like what was going on before, and that's why we had a coaching change because Carlisle's a great coach, right? Him and Luca just didn't get along, right? All right. That was the word on the street, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think she already been vetted. Oh, I'm sure. The number one player is, is vibing this, this transaction here, right? And if kids say, I got you, I got you. All right. right? Same, yeah. thing, same thing kind of happens here. You know, sometimes we kind of forget at Westcliff Athletics, right? We got a lot of people, but I've taken a, a lot of first-year head coaches who never proved to me yet, and some of them got to prove it this year that they can even coach at this level. Yeah. Yep. I right? Yeah. Now, you know, they can look at me, and I chose not to be a head coach in my career because I knew I wanted to go on the administration side. And kind of did it, but I've been a head coach at AU and certain things of that nature. But I've been in the coaching staffs and, and, and in these great organizations all the way up. Like I started in the back of the bus on this thing, right? As a volunteer coach and worked my way all the way up to, you know, uh, um, Dean of Athletics, you know, here at Westcliff, right? But I've had some stops all the way through, you know, and been associated with high level AAU teams. So when I came with this concept, of taking inexperienced, because this is true, right? Inexperienced um, coaches who never coached as head coaches and put them in positions of influence to be head coaches. I'm pretty sure people looking at that on the outside of Sherman saying the same thing. Mm. Because most of our coaches, about almost 90% of our coaches, never had any coaching experience on the collegiate level. But I knew the formula of what it takes to be a head coach. Because you got to be a damn good assistant and a pupil to get in this game, to survive this game for so long, right? You just pick up things. Mm. Does that make sense? No, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there, a lot of it is intuition. You know, you're just, right. you, you go by way. And Tolliver, right. And Tolliver has picked up some things over her 15, I think well, she's been in the league, what, 15 years? Yeah, about that. Right? About yeah. that? That's not even... That's not even probably – she probably put a basketball in the hand under the age of 10. I'm assuming I don't have those facts. Somebody look it up, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. She started playing at the age of four. She, I believe, was a third overall pick for the Chicago Sky in 2009. There you go. And she's been a winner on every level. She has. Yeah. And this is her second stint with the Sparks. Hey. So, right? She was with the Mystics as well, and she's played overseas in a variety of places, including Moscow um <clears throat> and a lot of places i cannot pronounce but right. it's, a, it's, a, it's another it's a song for that sure it's called i ain't wearing about nothing i ain't wearing about nothing i ain't wearing about nothing i ain't worrying about nothing when it comes to her in this basketball game well you know nobody it, else should either it'll and be if it's a rookie gonna talk up or a vet or whoever gonna talk up against her shame on you run your own suicides shame mm. on you Shame on you. Just go just go run a couple of suicides till you just can't run them no more. I, I think she's also been but I think she's also been a little bit, a little bit put in a difficult spot. Um, because the first person, the trailblazer, is always gonna be under a microscope, you know. And if if she's talking, good about, Dallas? Does, talking about Dallas, 
What's that? You talking, you talking about you talking about being at Dallas? She's been putting in different wherever she would have landed. If she's an assistant coach anywhere in the NBA, Becky Hammond was being considered as a head coach in the NBA. She right. she was up for a couple of jobs, and she would have obviously been the first female head coach in the NBA. She would have been under such scrutiny. And if she would have failed, everybody would point their finger and say, I told you so, I told you so. And, yeah. and, and so that's why the, you know, when you put somebody, the first person in that spot, and she's the first full-time assistant, and she, I think she'll be, you know, again with Becky Hammond, <clears throat> you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of pressure on her until she gets to the top. There's always, it's been pressure on her right now. She even sat in the job and you're already saying that somebody going to disrespect her. I mean, she, she, she has women in this country. Right. And she's a woman of color on, on top of that. Right. I've yeah. always felt the pressure. I've always felt that we, we're having this conversation because you already know what the pressure is going to be, because it's already an implicit bias because of her gender that she has to uh, cross some imaginary uh, line that's not even in play. I mean, this is the same thing that minorities in this country has to deal with anyway. And I'd rather her be first then be last. If you're going to be first, be first in something and bring it in. And we already know that people are going to always have things to say. She's always going to be under enormous pressure, but she has shown that she can handle that pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so it is it, 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 really what we're talking about. And, and now that I see, you know, your, your concern and it wasn't chauvinistic. Right. But you were speaking from a middle-aged white man in America, a Caucasian, right? And you know that your age group and, and your demographics have issue of taking any direction from women, period. No matter where it is, True. the title or not, right? Yeah. This especially is, women, especially women right. that might be younger. So, sir, you are the expert in this. Why don't our Caucasian middle-aged men who want to be the majority in this America, right? Don't like to take any kind of direction from women in leadership and women in position. Help me understand that. Ego. All right. I mean, okay. look, let's say. I now, mean, we know, we know, let me not let Cuban off the hook. We know Cuban had to clean this up because Dallas has had some sexual harassment issues, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and been really faulty when it comes to women right. in their culture. At right. Dallas. So this helps him out a whole lot. She's deserving, though. Yeah. Right? But this helps out his image to turn the coin. And he actually owes uh, women more than this. So hopefully he's doing some philanthropy and some other things that's educating uh, chauvinistic and bad behavior in the workplace when it comes to women and minorities and so on and so on so forth. But hey, but to this point right here, because I want to put you in a frying pan, because you always put me in a frying pan. Go right? ahead. Go ahead. I want to know why is it so hard? You said ego. Right, that Partly, yeah. Yeah. Caucasians don't want to take any direction from women. So I want to know because our future, our, our past president was talking about taking back to the '60s, right? In, mm. in, in, in suburbia, where where women was barefoot and pregnant. Right? You know that was his reference, right? Right. But this same behavior, implicit bias, systemic behavior that has plagued women for being in a, 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 a authority or positions of authority power is an issue, right? And she even walked through the door and we already saying that you already know it's going to be issues because that's based off of your personal experience of being with your peers. And I'm not saying you feel the same way as they do, but tell me like what you know about 
uh, middle-aged Caucasian man and how they're going to put uh, some handcuffs on her coming through the door because it's already scuttlebutt talk right now. We're the cooler talk right now for us right now. And she even walked through the door. So what else can she, she she's she going to run into ego. What else she's going to run into? Absolutely. But you know, I want to point out that there's a larger issue here. It's not just with Christy Tolliver and basketball. It could be at any company anywhere because, okay. because, you know, you could get passed over and a woman could get put in a position of authority and now you have to answer to her or, right. Whether you get passed over or not, your boss might just be a woman or maybe, you know, you, she started the company and she's the one in charge. And right. you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a sports or in business or wherever it is. Yeah. But you're absolutely right, though, when you're talking about uh, race uh, as a concern, it might be age as a concern. It, it might be obviously gender. In this case, is gender because you brought this 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 topic up. Yeah. And speaking from that perspective of a middle-aged Caucasian man in America. So you said the first thing she's going to deal with is ego. And that's not necessarily going to be in the craft of, of basketball. That's probably going to be uh, in the front office. So she got to deal with ego. What else she going to have to deal with? So you don't, so you don't think she's going to deal with any of that at the player level. I think the game is a meritocracy. You have a lot of different minorities. This is 80%. 85% plus without me looking at statistics, right? Of, of majority African-American, right? Um, I, I don't think we all have hoopers, man. It's, it's a Cheryl, you know, uh, it's a Cheryl uh, Miller in a lot of corners of, 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 of the hood, you know? So I think, you know, at this point, they t she's tough. And, you know, and and we, we're, we're, we're allied, man. We understand like it's, 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 it's other challenges that may happen that she may have, but I don't think it's going to be because, you know, she's a, she's a woman. You know, I think, you know, it's just going to be other unique challenges that may happen that, you know, that, but, but I think that, you know, Becky, you know, Hammond, you know, going through it with, with San Antonio and they handle things a little different, but I think it's a blueprint now. So I, I don't think the blueprint make it easier, but at least it's a template. Okay. There, so, right? So aside from so what other but don't, don't walk away from this don't walk away no please do not walk away from the for the question that I asked you because you back you you doing a, a Michael Jackson moonwalk right now you you tap dancing like the late Gregory Hines you know you're part of the Rat Pack I'm asking you before you try to get up off this point okay you're in the crosshairs this morning for this topic here I want to hear from you from your perspective, because you are, you share all the characteristics. I'm not saying you believe the way that they do, but the white man, the middle-aged white man, the baby boomer-ish white man in America has some systemic and some implicit bias against women. And it- I this, agree, I agree. Is, there is systemic bias against women. This is the stinking thinking, right? That has hurt us all the way in the boardroom and now in the field of play. So you said ego is going to be one. What other challenges do you know just being around, you know, middle-aged white men, right? This is a great DEI topic. Diversity, equity, inclusion. It's important. So she's going to go against ego. And what else? What else you find with your, your contemporaries who don't like to take uh, any direction from women of any color? I think, I, I think also she's going to run into uh, maybe a problem with veterans who have been in the league a long time, 
who might not think, yeah. And also even the younger kids who think they're better than they actually are, uh, that are, that, you know, might be 19 and in the league for the first time. And all of a sudden they're getting a lot of, uh, they're getting a lot of attention and, you know, they're, they're in the association and maybe they don't know her very well. What has she done? You know, maybe out of their, out of ignorance, she doesn't get the respect that maybe she should. Um, so we've got ego, we've got ignorance and yeah, there might be a race problem. Um, although I don't know, I mean, you know, that's, I, I don't know what kind of, if there's that s- systemic race problem in the NBA among players, what do you think about yeah. that? Because you, said, you know, the NBA is predominantly black in terms of the players, but not the ownership. But not no, 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 I'm just, I'm not even concerned with ownership, administration, any of that in terms of what, how they're going to view her. I am more concerned about how the players are going to view her. The the players are going to be fine, but we're, the players ain't in charge. We're talking about, you know, folks that that fit your characteristic and, and, you know, our, our, our great engineer, you know, who gives us all these great facts, me, you know, a, a couple points that he brought up is loss of power. You know, they don't want to give up. The privilege, you know, the white privilege that's going on. And and I want you to speak to this today because that's what made you cringe when you seen this, because it wasn't her performance. It wasn't her cachet. It wasn't her knowledge of the game. It came only down to the challenges of what she's going to find in uh, the front office more than anything. Right. So. So you don't think there's going to be any any tension? I think it's going to be the same tension that would be for any new coach going to any new team. Okay. The same challenges are going to be the same. It's not going to be any different because she's a woman or a man because of those things, because she has a reputation and she has garnered that respect through her play, right, and and, and hard work. You know, um, so I, I really believe those challenges are going to be the same as it would be for any for any uh, other coach, any other new coach. coach. Right. Now, now I'm not going to say that she's not going to have challenges like hidden figures where, you know, they didn't have a bathroom for her, you know, for in yeah. Hidden yeah. Figures, the movie, they didn't have a bathroom. You got to go all the way to another block, right. Just to go use the bathroom. Like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking that challenge, you know, some things have changed because the culture of Dallas had to change when it came to women. Right. So this was the right thing to do from a public standpoint and everything else. But I mean, you make a great point when you talk about some of these implicit, you know, biases that 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 is plaguing the league that nobody wants to talk about. We just want to blame it on the coaches. But really, you know, I mean, the players, but but it's really a coach and front office thing. Um, I'm sure that Mark Cuban, you know, has vetted her. So, you know, I'm not saying that her challenges ain't going to be different. And I'm not saying she ain't going to have to have some extra conversations. You do that every time you take over the helm, right? And it's, it's going to be, you know, uh, a situation to where, you know, we'll see how Jason uh, Kidd, you know, uh, treats her on the staff as really valuing her input, right? And what's going on. So I think, but I, mean, I think that's all earned as well. So I think she will understand those things, but basketball is basketball. You know, it's a little bit of, of differences, between the women's game, I don't know why they still make the basketballs the same size when you're coming up through grassroots in high school and college. They should, um, you know, do those things because uh, because it's a lot of girls who can uh, got a, a strap, and I'm talking about a jump shot. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. when it comes to no matter what ball they put in their hand, 
they can straight out, flat out shoot. And I really believe that women shoot better than men anyway, you know. Um, so it's a lot of things they do better than us. We need to get over our ego, our pride, and understanding that this game is beautiful when it's played together collectively as one, one unit, the best team, not the best individuals, right? Those who can gel together and play a role. And that's what the NBA provides, right? People play a role. Um, so I think, you know, for me, uh, not being in the trenches there, but just from the outside and, and being around enough that I think she's going to be fine. But I think you touched on some of the um, challenges that, you know, some fans, right, is going to have, um, you know, with the team now because they share your um, – um, they, they, they share your characteristics as far as being a privileged middle-aged, you know, Caucasian white man in America that don't want to see a woman on the sideline for no shape, form, or reason right, only right. because they have gender issues. But let's expand that a bit. I don't think it's just middle-aged. It could also be younger, you know, yeah, yeah, no, you know, it, it, it's, it, I guess I was just, I guess I was, bias has no bias. It can affect absolutely everybody at any time from any direction. I, I guess I just picked that up because, you know. Because I'm a white and I'm middle-aged. Yeah, 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 but, but, but yeah, you are those things. Those, those, those things are accurate, right? But, what, <laughs> but that's not really what it is. I was just looking for I know, I know. cause or a catalyst, right, for, for this type of behavior. And we know it has to be taught, right? Racism is taught. Biases are taught, right? You can have a preference and not be biased, right? Nothing wrong with that. Right, right. Um, and I know that's a tricky one in itself. So I was just kind of, you know, looking to chop off the head of the snake. But sure. to be true, you know, to, to be factually correct, you are right. It can it can be in any shape. Bias has no bias. Right. And, and, and it's not just only, um, let me, you know, back this up. It's males of, 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 of a lot of uh, cultures who feel the same way that are minorities that feel the same way. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying, but the reason why I concentrated uh, just for the listeners to understand and for you, sure, the reason why I concentrated on uh, middle aged Caucasian white men, because they're normally in charge. Right. So the, the black guys and the minority people who are who maybe feel the same way, not many of them in charge to have that influence. Right. The impact of influence as the white middle aged Caucasian, uh, you know, male in, in America. So that's the reason why I chose uh, specific um, thing, and, and I could be completely wrong. And if we have evidence of anything else, I do a correction of error, and I say, "Hey, let me let me educate myself more and um, look at it differently." But I don't see too many brothers on the teams in the WNBA. I don't see too many brothers that are GMs, right. right? And I see one person of color, and he happened to be African. He ain't even American, right? You know, in, in uh, Toronto. So uh, the leadership scale is, you know, the autonomy there uh, that GMs have and, and front office people have to have power over uh, staffs and, and, and players is real. So, I mean, it's a couple of players that have that cachet, you know, Kobe Bryant used to have that cachet. LeBron James definitely has that cachet to make some roster changes and some moves, right? And um, we see Luka Doncic starting to have that same appeal in Dallas. Right. So, you know, so it, it can trickle down. But, you know, I just thought it was an interesting point. We can move on to another. No, 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 no. No, here, here's what I, I want to expand a little bit, um, because as I'm doing my research, I'm, I'm finding some stuff out in that 
you know, when you when you make a hire like uh, Christy Tolliver, I'm wondering if, you know, the GM obviously is going to consult with probably the players and or at least the best player or two on the team. I don't think they're talking to all the players, but I think Luca might have known who yeah, yeah. Person from. And right. I would say that because you have to be smart because we have also found out in this university that we presently compose that at Westcliff that, that that represent over 90 different countries, right? That international um, uh, people think differently than Americans, right? So um, I'm sure they made sure that Luca didn't have any cultural differences, right? right. Um, you know, when it comes to taking direction from women. Right. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. I've been looking this up. The, you know, whenever the Lakers make a move and they just made a ton of moves, I'm sure Rob Palenka consults with LeBron James. It would be stupid not to, you know, because the players have gotten as much, not as much power, but a lot more power these days. Like, you know, Chauncey Billups and Damian Lillard, you know, Damian Lillard, hey, you know, this is what I want. And, and, and guys like KD and, and the big names are, you know, helping to form these super teams. And they go to the GMs and say, this is what I want to do. Can we make this happen? And the GMs will probably consult with them and say, hey, is this okay for you? You know, it wasn't always that way. And more to your point, as you say, that middle age white guy was the guy in charge. Now I'm going back, you know, into the eighties, nineties, and even the aughts of the NBA, the current general manager of the Dallas Mavericks is not a veteran GM. He's not a rising talent evaluator who came up through the ranks and he's not a former NBA player. And his name is Nico Harrison. Nico Harrison was an executive at Nike. Now, yeah. Yes. It's a new hire. Yes. As of June. And he's a person of color as well. And what, and interesting. Yeah. And also, yeah. Person of color. Um, He was the vice president of North American basketball operations since 2016 for Nike. Uh, One of the most well-known people in the world of NBA player relations. So, you know, whether he has that experience or not, which he doesn't have experience in an NBA front offices. He's never worked in an NBA front office, but he's got the connection. He's, he's, he's been in NBA front offices. He's done it from the Nike perspective. Uh, so he's a tough negotiator. Tough negotiator, negotiator understands the salary cap. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You, you definitely have to be. And um, there was a time when he was Kobe Bryant's personal marketing contact. So, you know, he was in the room for a lot of deals and I'm sure he understands that. You know, like Shark Tank to me. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Um, and he's also the chief of basketball operations. So the interesting thing is he replaced Donnie Nelson, who was there for 18 years, the middle-aged white guy that we're talking about. So things he are left. Carlisle yeah. left. Uh yeah. They didn't they didn't know they were leaving. They just jumped ship. They didn't like the direction it was going. Yeah, but tough, you know. Ultimately, everything comes down to Mark Cuban. You know, he's the guy, his, his name's on the door. And if you don't like it, you don't have to stay. And I hope Cuban, you know, consider my son on the team. So absolutely. Oh, and, you know, Mark Cuban bought a house in Laguna Beach. He's got a part-time residence there. Hey, pull up on me. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we're starting to see a shift a little bit. But what I, you know, I've brought this point up when we talked to Jason Hart and when we've talked to um, Jamal and when we talked to other players, when they're, when they are, hiring women, women of color, uh, men of color in positions. I want to make sure that, you know, the reason I brought up the respect thing 
is that I, I hope it's just not window dressing and it's not affirmative action or they have to fill a quota or it's a, a public relations thing because they're trying to fix their image. You know, can I stop you right there? Can we pause for a minute? Yeah, of course. Look, I, I think both of those things you said don't have to be mutually exclusive. I think you can fill a quota and still have someone deserving of the job to fill it. So I don't, I don't think like because we had to fill a quota, all of a sudden the, the candidate or the applicant or the prospect, prospective person that we put there is now boo-boo because we had to fill a quota. You can still fill a quota. I, I don't say that when cops on the freeway and we know it's the end of the month and they used to write these tickets. These tickets they, they're not fake tickets because they got to fill a quota. Well, not at they, that they level. Legit, they legit tickets, right? So, I mean, even here, like, even if they had to fulfill a quota, because all college sports have to fulfill a quota, it's called Title IX. Title IX dictates, Title IX is no different than affirmative action. It dictates the fact that we have to have, you know, certain rules, not just, you know, Title IX is really deep and complex, but part of it is, you know, ratio for men to women, right? It's a, that's a quota. Yeah, yeah. But see, also, we don't just go out and get trashy athletes to fulfill that quota. No, it doesn't take away from one or the other. So I just want to make sure that I just want to state that point too, because people do feel the way you feel, you know, there, you know, Sherm. And, and it was kind of a micro message. It wasn't something that you said in general, but it was just implied that because we've got to fill a quota is the reason why, you know, now it makes the hire looks different. It shouldn't. Right. But I said, I hope it's not. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, even if it was, what I'm saying to you is, my point is, even if it was the filicota, it doesn't matter because it still is a gap in the process. That's what I'm saying. You know, the Rooney rule is a gap in the process. We know we still need to hire more Black applicants, even though we know they get the interview based off the Rooney rule in NFL, right? We, we Because it's a gap in that process. It's still some you know, um, things that are happening that's preventing us from looking at the total aspect of all applicants. And the same thing. So, so I guess my point was just really that even if it was, uh, you know, because of affirmative action, that doesn't take away of how great of a hire those candidates is, even if we do have to fulfill a quota, because we know that it's so much implicit bias. The only way it can happen is through legislation. And that's the same way that we run this country. Like people wouldn't stop at a stop sign unless we put some emphasis on it, right? And put in legislation. If we just put stop signs up and you had your own choice, if you were going to stop or not, people might not abide by those things, even though we know stopping there will save lives. So, you know, that's that's my point. But let me let you finish your point. No, no, no. It, it, it you know, as I was saying, First of all, at that level, that's the highest level, the NBA. As a coach, how much higher can you go? Maybe the Olympic team, but a lot of the times the Olympic team coaches are the NBA coaches and so, or the very top college coaches. So when you make a hire at that level, you obviously you should be, you should know what you're doing. You've got to put the right person in the right place, not just to fill a quota is what I'm saying. That's why I hope it's not just that. You need somebody who knows what they're doing at that level, because if they fail, there's going to be a tremendous amount of scrutiny on you, which there might be anyway. Uh, when you're a trailblazer, you just have to incur the scrutiny because you're the first person to do it. It hasn't been done for, in history, and all of a sudden it's being done. So 
people are going to be watching you. You know, Jason Kidd, as a head coach, we've talked about him. Um, uh, his, his first assistant is Daryl Armstrong, a man, uh, African-American. His second assistant is God Sham God. Also, he's a player development coach. And, and now Christy Tolliver, um, he, he's got the right people in the right places. We'll see. I mean, I, I hope he's got some great players. If they might be one move away from getting a real mar another marquee player that can really go alongside uh, Luca. Um, just because of the way free agency has gone this year and $1.5 billion has been given away to players and they're, they're still getting votes, uh, coming out of the West. I, I, they're still probably one player away from getting over the top. I, I don't know. I don't know that, that anyone's going to get by some of the top, the elite teams. We still have to talk about the Lakers and their average age of 35 years <laughs> among players, but <clears throat> at that level, they're, they're changing the narrative. Um, with, with uh, people of color and women in, in those positions. I mean, Kim Engie, the GM, the first female GM in any major sport um, at the, and, and I I'm, try to include the WNBA in there because they're going to have female GMs, but uh, you know, the first in particular in major league baseball, she will have a great deal of scrutiny, but the people that know her will say, look, she's done this for 30 years. She was an assistant for 30 years with the Dodgers and the Yankees. And that's why Derek Jeter hired her. She was at the Yankees when he was there. You know, it's so obviously number two, baby. You know. Kudos to the pitch strike, number two. The best. And they're, and they're on fire right now. They have they, the best they ever did it, baby. They have vaulted themselves into the number one spot where the wild card is concerned. And they've won, uh, I think, their last six games in a row and nine of their last 10. So they're on fire. But, um, you know, it's obviously a relationship game. It, it's hard to hire somebody you don't know, especially at that level. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I'm, a, they probably have the right person in the right place. There's going to be a little bit of scrutiny, of they course. Probably, but, you said probably, but you just gave yeah. 30 seconds of accolades of how they just bolted their stuff in contention for the wild card. And then you said probably that she might be successful. She's successful right now. Do we not forget where the Marlins were? Yeah. The Marlins are still struggling this year, but that's yeah, I understand that part, but I'm talking about where they were, like how dysfunctional they were in the front office. Yeah, they were that. They were that. I mean, the moves everybody thought was crazy when Jeter did it. All the moves, from player to everything else. But it looks like that big ship, because we know organizations are a big ship. It looked like it's, 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 in, it's, it's sailing in the right direction now. Mm. Well, if there, I, I think she's the right person in the right spot. I'm talking about Kim Engie now. Because... Uh, because she's been in baseball for 30 years and she's, already, she's held, she's held every position, but the GM position. And so it was a natural thing. And when she got promoted, there was a lot of support for her. Yeah. And you know what? It's really it bad. Should be, form. It should be right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really bad form to come out in opposition. You're going to be in the minority and you're going to make yourself look like an idiot, open mouth and third foot. So they're looking for a cancel calls or two. So they can't do both. Right. Say that again. Sorry. Well, I said, so the, the council culture is so high. Oh, right. Do you, okay. you think it's people who actually wanted to say something, but knew they couldn't? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Don't you think so? Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering what your perspective was. I oh, think, absolutely. You know, we might see like, uh, you know, some, some video evidence or some, some footage like, like we had an ESPN roll around, right. Where somebody has something to say, but uh, it just wasn't a hot mic. Is this going back to Deandre Ayton? 
Are no, you, no, no, are you no. Taking was, it all the way back to Sean Miller now. No, no, no. I was talking, no, no, no. Now no, we've no. come full circle. I can hear the smile no. in your voice right now. No, bro. no. I mean, that's. I'm glad you took it there, but I wasn't thinking about that. Oh, okay. Who were you talking about? No, I was thinking about Maria, who left ESPN. Oh, Maria Taylor. Right. Okay. All right. Right, because that's. But that was more gender gender conflict right? between her. Yeah, you know, ESPN does not have a great track record when they're hiring females and also. But, but, but what I, I just said that just to allude that it may be some um, women who were doing it before some of the other ones who didn't get it wasn't their timing. Right. And they could be upset as well, uh, spilling fuel on a fire that shouldn't be burning. That's all I'm saying. Now, I may, OK, I understand that makes sense. And hey, this past week, Jackie McMullen, longtime ESPN contributor on television, does the games, is, has announced her retirement. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as you turn on, if we're going to talk ESPN, you know, you turn on the TV and there and frequently there are two female um, anchors doing Sports Center. They usually have one male and one female, but, uh, you know, they've they've diversified a great deal. And that's because of hot mic takes. The hot mic is bringing people down like crazy. The mic's on and people don't know. But, you know, they once something comes to light, then they have to do their PR. They've got to correct it. Uh, but, you know, they started doing that. You know, you, you go back, women in sports casting, and that's a whole other podcast, goes back to Phyllis George, you know, and, and people in the 70s. Uh, there, were, there were women, but, uh, you know, it was few and far between. And so Doris Burke, DB is one of my favorite analysts. Yeah, yeah, she's she's How great. How can she get enough? And for their, them to relegate her in the finals to some sideline action, I'm not happy about that. I think yeah, she's yeah. better than anybody. She's got an incredible voice, speaking voice, I might add. Speaking voice and a hell of a career. She put her dudes in too, so she needed to get bumped up far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and then there's Holly Rowe and there's Lisa Salters, sideline reporters all. Uh, and there's more, obviously there's people like Ashley Brewer and Linda Cohn are doing the desk and uh, Tony Collins uh, and I'm forgetting a few others. I'm sure I am, but you know, they've, they've started to do right obviously now, and it's still such a male dominated society, sports in general, you know, yeah. and, and because most of the sports were be, were started by men, you know, yeah. some of these sports that are a hundred so, so we say, so we say, we don't know how many that men had to, be the anchor because back then when women came up with great concepts, they couldn't be the face of this thing. Yeah, that's true. So many, so many different companies that we can talk about to where um, even um, the whole thing, I think, uh, oh man, what was the car company? I couldn't think of it now. I want to say Mercedes Benz or one of the biggest, I think Mercedes, I can't even think of the car name. I'm about to come back to that. I want to put out, I want to put out no trash there, but all right. The, the 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 owner was really, and the uh, the person who conceptualized it was was really a woman. But since women didn't have a voice, she had to have her uh, her husband be the face of it. You know, sure, it was sure. really her design. So sometimes that happens. We just don't know how many sports that could you know derive from a woman or for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time, society only um, was taking the the voice of a man, which was. If you think about it now, it's just, you know, really, really uh, not great at all. But to this point, to wrap this up. Sure. So you and I agree that Tolliver is a great hire. 
Yeah, I do. I think I just, I, you know, I want to make sure everybody gives her the, the respect and the opportunity she deserves. Right. That's, that's my point in the end of all this. Yeah. And, and I agree with you on that. And I think she's going to be a valuable contributor to the Dallas Mavericks. I think they're going to have an up and down season because they just not where they need to be personnel wise, but they look like they're training in the right direction. And I think in the next couple of years, they should be in contention. But I don't think it's going to be this year. And, and if it's not this year, I don't think it's going to be Tolliver's fault. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, why, why they don't get it done. I mean, you know, we always look for someone to point the finger at, right? You know, in this whole process, especially when it's new. But we all know that Dallas has been trash um, now for the last couple of years. And we know they got a superstar they need to build around. And like you said, I believe they a couple pieces away. Yeah. One major dude and then maybe a good a glue guy. Uh, that can make some things happen, but I don't think they get it done in the 21-22 season, but I think 22-23 should look on the up and up. Yep. Uh, Maybe if they make a free agent move or they get somebody high in the draft, uh, you know, it's Luca and Porzingis and some names that you know, people that you know, Uh, you know, Trey Burke is in there, Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock as an example, Willie Cauley-Stein. but, you know, we're not talking about the elite of the elite. So, again, they need, they need one or two pieces in order to get And, and I'm going to let you gloss over this, but I, I really want to know why Jason Terry left your beloved University of Arizona um, Wildcats since that was a dream job for him. And he was there for peanuts before. Right, with right. And now, all of a sudden, you get a new regime and he just takes off. So Well, that's because he also has a chance to be a head coach, a professional head coach. Okay. So that's, that's, that's his only reason why I'm leaving. Well, I, I, I have not spoken with him, but maybe he was a little upset that he got passed over. Hey, a little, cause I thought your, your Arizona guys wanted another Arizona guy. That was the, that was the rumors, right? Well, you know what? Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, Sean Miller certainly was not an Arizona guy. Um, no, but, I'm, but I'm saying, like, you guys wanted to bring it home. You had plenty to choose from. Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. And they had a guy already on the bench there. As I mean, name is Stoudemire. They didn't get a, 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 a breath of fresh air. He, right. had to, he had to leave where he was over there in Pacific, in which he did a lot of great things. Yeah. Y'all didn't consider him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, they went outside. A lot of times the big... Why? Was it because he was a person of color? What, what's going on over there? I don't know. But, you know, when when, when, they, made, when they made the hire, you and I agreed that it was a good hire. It is. I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing dirt like the media does. I'm just okay. I'm a part of I really, I don't know. You know, there might be something to, to be said for that. Arizona, I don't believe, has ever had a black head coach. And so... They may have had Ben Brown, which was, I, I have to go back and check. He may have been a person of color. That was before Lute Olson. Uh, that would have been in the early 80s. So I got to go back and double check. But from that point forward, no. And, you know, they've gone outside every time. Lute Olson, great coach, not an Arizona guy. Sean Miller, I don't know if he's a great coach, not an Arizona guy. The guy they got from Gonzaga. Sean Miller, Miller is an excellent coach. An excellent coach. Now we don't. I don't know. You know, he's he hasn't been guilty of anything, so we got to say he's innocent. Okay, but, but what? Uh, you know, this is a whole other conversation. But what makes him an excellent coach? He hasn't won anything. Okay, fair. I mean, how do we? How do we, you know that? That's it. How do we gauge success in sports? 
Fair, fair. I mean, um, um, never been to the Final Four, and he had Derek Williams one year and got knocked out in the Elite Eight. In in today's society, uh, yeah, we, we value those on championships. Yeah, we do. That that's you know I, that's how I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand the measurement. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that's why I say it's a whole different. How do you how do you judge greatness? You and I have had this talk before. Um, maybe the greatest. How do you judge the greatest NBA player? In your eyes, it's Michael Jordan, right? Yeah, I'm I'm a little um, biased with all of that too. Okay, but then but then I've asked you this question before, and you've come up with what I think is the right answer. But if you go by championships, the best player in the history of the NBA is whom? Bill Russell. Exactly, he's won eleven championships. So right. you know, it it just that's your point of view and how you want to. If, if, if nothing else, he's the he's the best teammate ever. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that they dominated the '60s. They won just about every year. And, and it, it was and, you know, eight teams. I get it, right? Yeah. So, and Will Chamberlain only won two championships. You know, and, and he was there at the same time. And not taking nothing away from Wilt, maybe we can't say that Will, ever. We can't say that Wilt was stifled because they changed the rules on Wilt because he was. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they changed the rules because of Will Chamberlain. That's yeah. how you know you're great when you affect the sport. Well, we, we never got a chance to see him be all he could be. Because yeah, that's true. That's all. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, as I say, we've got a lot of uh, topics for future podcasts. This one was a spirited one, and I always appreciate that from you. It, most of the time, we are in agreement. We do have we do have our differences where the Arizona universities are concerned, but you know what I I take that with a grain of salt and in good. Uh, so. I mean, there's no disagreement when Arizona State is one and Arizona is zero. I mean, oh my goodness! Uh, I wonder if it would be like this if our if our excellent ace producer Brandon went somewhere else, but I have a feeling like it's mostly because of that. Uh, I, I, you know what? Uh, I neither can confirm or deny. <laughs> okay, I'm just here, so I won't get fined. Uh, that's it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, thanks again. Uh, always a good one. Looking forward to the next one, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again. Yeah, yeah. And as always, I would like to thank my guest host, our Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris. Yeah, yeah. And the gentleman who makes us sound good each and every time we do podcasts, that is Brandon Peterson, our sound engineer. Beep, 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 beep. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you download your podcast and please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out about Westcliff Athletics and we thank you for your support. And keep an eye out for the next podcast.